I want you to come with me to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 23. Hang on to your hats, fasten your seatbelts. In the 20 minutes that I've got left, I'm going to try and give you seven keys to a great marriage and a great family. Proverbs 13, 23. Yell out when you're there. Proverbs 13, 23. It says this, but much food, look at this, much food is in the fallow ground of the poor. And for lack of justice, there is waste. Much food is in the fallow ground. Does anyone know what the word fallow means? It means uncultivated. It means untapped potential. Much food is in the untapped potential ground of the poor. God has, God has put food, God has put blessing, God has put resources in the ground of the poor. For lack of justice, for the lack of, of understanding, for the lack of 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 knowledge, knowing that just below the surface is incredible blessing. They don't need to be poor anymore. But the inability to dig, the, the inability to, to, to break through the soil, to believe that if they just tap into the soil that God is for them, that below their sight line, below what they see, below what they perceive, underneath the surface, some people say, well, if God wanted you know, people to be blessed and if God doesn't want there to be rich and poor, if God wants, then how come He doesn't, why does He bury it? Why does He put it under the surface? Because you don't find gold lying on, on the road. You're not going to drive along on the freeway. Whoa, what is that? Pull over and something shiny. Oh, look at that. It's gold. A whopping great. Gold doesn't sit. Why? Because people would just steal it. People would take it. It wouldn't be like it's under the ground for those who dig. The Bible says this, that there's much food in the fellow. In other words, there's great, there's great wisdom. There's great wisdom. We just got to be willing to go after it and get it. Can I tell you, the reason to be in church is because there's great wisdom if we'll just reach for it, if we'll just dig for it, if we'll just go after it, if we'll just expand ourselves a bit, if we'll just extend ourselves a little bit. You know, in, in the book of Revelation, uh, there are seven letters to seven churches. All seven letters finish with these, with these words. To him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To him who has ears, how many people here have got ears to hear? The Bible says to him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, just because you've got ears to hear doesn't necessarily mean that you're hearing what the Spirit is saying to the churches. If you read the book of Proverbs, you'll find the Bible says the wisdom calls out. She calls out from the entrance of the city, turn this way. Come to me, buy me. I am more precious than rubies. My weight and worth far above silver and gold and precious possessions. Come learn from me. Get knowledge, get prudence, get understanding. They're going to add by me kings. Right? Wisdom calls aloud. Wisdom cries aloud from the entrance of the city gate. So wisdom has a voice and she's constantly calling. But if you keep reading, the Bible says that the adulterous woman, an unfaithful spirit also calls. She calls to him who is simple and passing by, stop in here. And those who are simple, those without discernment, those without judgment, those who are impotent, turn aside under her. They do not realize that her steps lay hold of hell. And so can I just tell you, there are voices continually calling for your attention. But Jesus continues said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what I'm saying. In the book of Revelation, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now watch this. 
It doesn't say, let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Holy Spirit says to the individual. To the very spiritual person, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the individual, very, very spiritual person. It says, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the assemblies, to the wisdom and counsel of the church. If you're hearing things that don't line up with what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches, you've actually got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. I said you've got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Come on, somebody say amen. There's incredible wisdom in what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches. We were at the C3 conference this week, and Pastor Phil was preaching about something, and somebody said to me, oh, do you think Pastor Phil you know, has read Wiki Church? And, uh, and I said, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think so. But everything that, that God was telling, speaking to us about God was speaking to him. And then we had another speaker you know, speaking from another part of the world, and God, God was speaking to him the very, very same things. Why? Because the Spirit of God is speaking to the churches, the, you know, very, very similar themes all over the world. No matter where you go, you know, you can be in Africa, you can be in India, you can be, you know, in New Zealand, you can be in Australia, and you find the Spirit of God is speaking the same things to, to the church. And there's, there's incredible wisdom if we, if we uh, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. That's why it's so important to be in church yourself. Can somebody say amen? So, so here's the deal. The Spirit of God wants to give you treasure, wants to give you wisdom. It's just below the surface. But you are people that are here ready to dig. How do I know that? Because it's a hot day outside. And while other people are at the beach and, you know, I, you know, you almost can't blame them. 91 degrees, you know, beautiful San Diego, beautiful beaches. The water's 70 or 71 degrees at the moment, the warmest it ever gets in San Diego. But you're here in the house of God. So I just want to honor you and tell you, get ready. I'm going to make sure you leave here tonight with your pockets full of incredible riches, incredible wealth from the Word of God, great powerful principles that are going to build your life. Can somebody say amen? So the first thing I, I want to draw your attention to is I just want to give you seven great keys to, you know, or seven keys to a great marriage and a great family. The first one, I believe, is building a positive home environment, a positive home environment. In Proverbs 31, you know, we read about the, um, you know, the, the Proverbs 31 woman and she rises while it is yet you know, dark and, you know, prepares food for a household. She considers a field and buys. I mean, this woman is extraordinary. She works with her hands. You know, the Bible calls her the virtuous wife. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Verse 28, though, says, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. I love that because the home environment is an environment that is positive. It is an environment that is positive. We have to create a home environment that's positive. Now, listen to me. Some of us in our business have to be friendly. You're on the phone to, to a client or, you know, you're trying to negotiate a deal and the person on the other end is being an absolute moron. And you realize if you react to their moronic nature that you're, you can possibly jeopardize this deal going through. So, you know, you know, butter wouldn't even melt in your mouth. You are so sweet. You are so, you know, you know, gracious and responding. But by the time you get home, you are so spent that you come home and you snap at your spouse and you, you know, you rip your children's head off because they left toys on the floor. And I just believe that we've got to watch ourselves. We've got to make sure that we save the best for home. 
gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. You don't even make it into praise. You don't even make it into praising God in his courts until you learn the access code to open the gates to get into the courts is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving leads to, to, to the, the praise of God. And I honestly believe that too many people live miserable lives, that we're miserable complaining about our wives, our children, our family, all kinds of stuff because we don't appreciate, because we don't give thanks. Begin to make a list of all the things that you're thankful for and you'll find that life will, will be better for you. So appreciation is that you are valued. When you say thank you, when you come home with flowers, not for not because it's, you know, Valentine's Day, not because it's a birthday, not because it's, a, you know, a wedding anniversary, just, for, just to say thank you, you will find the appreciation goes to a whole new level and a person who's appreciated rises in value. When was the last time that you said thank you? The next one is affirmation. Affirmation is you belong. People are looking for a place to belong. And so we need to give those three A's, approval, appreciation, affirmation. Do you know there's a one-to-four ratio? For every one negative word, we need four positive words to counteract the damage of those negative words. That's why the Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death, the negative, always comes first. And we've got to choose to kind of bind that that negative and choose to speak positive choose to 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 do that if if you've you know ripped into one of your kids if you've had a row with one of your kids every time i've done that the next thing i look to do is i'm going to make sure that i find something to praise them about find something to bless them about find something positive to say something encouraging to say especially if i've got to discipline one of my children i will that night when i'm putting them to bed or whatever make sure that i say something positive reinstate how much i love them how 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 appreciative i am can somebody say amen so the first one is positive home environment we've got to work on that the second one is uh is this love is spelled t-i-m-e Love is spelled, if you want to spell love, it's spelled T-I-M-E. There is no substitute for time together. I know people say, well, you know, it's not quality of time. It's, sorry, it's not quantity of time, it's quality of time. Well, I don't know. I, I think there's a fine line between quality and quantity. I think there's a fine line between quality and quantity. I believe that the people need a whole lot of quantity. Come on, somebody. They need some quantity. There's no substitute for time together. You know, there used to be the myth we heard in Bible college, you know, couples who pray together stay together. And, uh, and then I found that, you know, just as many people were getting divorced in the church as out of the church. I'm thinking that doesn't work, you know, by itself. But I honestly believe that there are two sides to it. One side of the coin is absolutely couples who pray together stay together. But if you flip that coin around, it's couples who play together stay together. Families that pray together stay together. But Families that play together, stay together. And I honestly believe that as important as prayer is, and listen, I'm not trying to belittle prayer. Prayer is unbelievably essential, unbelievably important. But just as important is playtime. You've got to have playtime. When was the last time you got down onto the carpet, took the shoes off and played blocks or played you know, dresses, I played princess with Zoe, you know, in the castle and the witch, I'll shoot for my own hand and all kinds of things. And, uh, you know, and she, she loves all this kind of, but just, just playing together, playing with your kids, playing, you know, uh, I apparently shoot a basketball like a woman. According to Ash, according to my 15-year-old Ash, I shoot a basketball like a woman. So we had a competition. We went, we, we were in uh, Walmart, and I saw they had these basketball rings, you know, on 
basically it was a clearance sale and it was about a third of the, the price and Walmart's already cheap and so I just said, I've got to buy it. So we went, put it, put it together and as usual, I put it together with one part, just one flipping part upside down and, uh, and so the thing doesn't extend because... Anyway, and so, which is normal. It's normal because I rush ahead and Leanna says, read the instructions, go slow. And I'm like, darling, I was a mechanical engineer. I don't need to read the instructions. It's simple. And every single time that pride and arrogance just come, cometh before a fall and she just stands there with her arms folded and it just, anyway. And so, so we, we kind of set on one setting and we're shooting it and shooting it. And at one stage, Tommy was ahead of me. My little 10-year-old punk was ahead of me. And, uh, but as she did when I came a very close second and, uh, but I, apparently I throw the basketball like a, like a girl and which is just really, and he's trying to tell me, dad, you put one hand on the side and one hand like this and you just lob it and I'm, and I'm you know, doing this and it just looks and he's like, oh, dad, don't stop, just stop. And so I'm just doing, you know, soccer shies. That's, and I was getting him in when I did the soccer shies, when I'm trying to do, I don't know, he's got this, this way that they, I don't know how they, but it looks good. I mean, so anyway, so just playing together, playing together, wrestling. I used to wrestle my boys. I'm scared to wrestle my boys. The eldest two are cut, ripped, and buff. My eldest son is, is learning, you know, jiu-jitsu and boxing and martial arts with Peter Torado. So, you know what? I'm avoiding wrestling. Now we play pool. There's a lot less damage in pool than wrestling. I can remember wrestling with, uh, uh, with, with, with these little rascals when they were little, and, uh, and they, would, they would do the tag team thing. And Ash would, you know, kind of run around behind me, get up on, on the, the uh, sofa, and then just launch off the sofa, holding his ankles with his knees like this right into the center of my back. And, you know, he'd grab the back of my hair and smash my face into the ground. And, and they, the two of them, it was like, honestly, it was like WWF. They would be flipping, beating me into the ground. And I honestly, there were moments, they're like, you know, four and six, I'm thinking, I'm going to die. I'm going to die at the hands of my children. But you can't, you can't flinch. You can't show any weakness. You can't, you know, it's like blood in the water to sharks. You can't show, if they know that they've hurt you, it just, just motivates them. And so you've got to kind of get up and say, oh, man, that was your best. That was your best. And then walk, shut the door, and then, oh, my God, you know, where's the chiropractor I need? And, uh, but you've got to play together. You've got to play together. Come on, somebody. Say amen. Go out to eat. Have a, veg, you know, have a vegetation. Have a vacation. Absolutely, eat, veg eat vegetables. I don't know where that came from. All right, number three, really quickly, is put in the big rocks first. I remember when I was in Bible college, we did this, uh, basically we, we had this experiment where somebody brought in this kind of this glass uh, clear cylinder. It was about that high and probably held about, I think maybe might have held a gallon. And they had sand, they had pebbles, and they had these big rocks. And then you had to try and get all of the sand, all the pebbles, and all the rocks into the glass cylinder. And what every student did was pour the sand in first, then put the pebbles, and then try to stuff the big rocks in. But you've actually got to do the exact opposite. You've got to put the big rocks in first. But the big rocks look like they take up half the space. And you're thinking, man, if I put the big rocks in, I'll never get the sand and the pebbles in. But actually, by putting the big rocks in first and then pouring the sand, the sand... Uh, seeps down into and fills in all the gaps and then you just pour the pebbles in on top and so the, the whole lesson or the wisdom of that lesson is you got to put the big rocks in first in life what are the big rocks what are the big priorities in your life and in my life 
and we've got to put those in those in first i can remember when i left the uh, the assemblies of god and uh and uh, became the youth pastor for c3 oxford falls for christian city church pastor phil pringle i'll never forget in the assemblies of god we used to always be made to feel unspiritual if we took a vacation and I remember Pastor Phil coming into my office and uh, he's looking at my calendar and I'd been working there about 15 months and I hadn't had a week off and I thought he was going to be really impressed. And, uh, and he says, oh yeah, you know, uh, you, you get, I think, three or four weeks annual leave a year and, you, you know, you haven't used it and there's another, you know, there's another lot about to kick in. You know, why haven't you taken any? And I said, well, Pastor Phil, there's just so much work to do. When I came here, the youth ministry was in all kinds of disarray. And so I, you know, I want to, you know, Pastor Phil, there's just no time to rest. I've got to build this youth ministry. You know, people are going to hell, all this kind of stuff. And then Pastor Phil just kind of sat there and listened. He says, yeah, listen. He says, you know, the first thing I put on my calendar, I said, oh, you know, your, your travel schedule? He says, no. He says, vacations. I'm like, what? He says, the first thing I want you to put onto your calendar. And I'm thinking, you're my boss telling me the first thing you want me to put on my calendar above work, above ministry, above everything else is my vacation. He says, yeah, look after your family. He got up and walked out. It was like unbelievable. It was like the, the permission that I needed. And I realized that my life was out of balance. My life was out of whack. You've got to put the big rocks in first. So, so you know, putting, putting family time, putting vacation time in, celebrating those things, putting the most important things in. Church attendance, so important. You know, I'm going to be in church. Kids, we're going to be in church. We're going to be in the house of God. It is so important. I can't tell you how many people, you know, well, you know, when we're in town, we'll be in church. And that may be fine for them. They may be able to handle it with their, you know, business thing or whatever. But I look at their kids and all their kids are screwed up because the message they send to the kids is the, the house of God isn't a priority. It's not a big rock. It's just sand that just kind of fills in the gaps. The big rock is go after business. The big rock is go after wealth. The big rock is, and uh, it's, can I tell you, it's not sand. It's not sand. Jesus, Jesus says, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. It's a big rock. It's a priority. Put, put vacations. Put the house of God. Put events. Put date night. Put anniversaries. Put, put you know, important dates in the school calendar for your kids. You know, recitals and plays and all of those kinds of things. Football games. Things that are important to them. Put those things in your calendar. And then let everything else go, go around about it. You know, we have Mondays off. And I can't tell you how many times there's a crisis or there's a need or there's a situation or there's something that, that would demand that Monday. And so I used to feel guilty at first saying, oh, listen, I've already got an appointment on, on, at that time on a Monday. People say, oh, you got an appointment? <laughs> I thought Monday was your day off. And uh, the truth is I do have an appointment. It's with my family. I do have an appointment it's with my spouse. I have to. It's a big rock. And so you can't, you can't touch that she, because otherwise Jesus says there's one group of people you have with you all the time and it's the poor. He says the poor you'll have with you, you'll always be surrounded by needs. You have to learn. The Bible says Jesus often withdrew, disconnected from the crowd and went into the wilderness and the lonely places and there he prayed. He had to disconnect for him to be fresh, for him to be able to give. He had to learn to disconnect. You've got to prioritize. You've got to get the big rocks in your life first. Can somebody say amen? Numero cuatro, number four, pursue the practice of unconditional love. Pursue the practice of unconditional love. Now, can I just tell you, this does not flow naturally. Every single one of us are brought up with conditional love. Conditional love is, well done, son, you scored the touchdown. 
Daddy's proud of you. Daddy's taking you to Denny's. You know, like when, when we perform, when we get an A on, the, on our school report, you get $20 allowance. I was doing that. You know, you, you, whatever it is, you, you, you get reward. When you perform, when you achieve, you will be rewarded. God is the only one who loves us, whether we're good, whether we're bad, or whether we're downright rotten. He loves us. He blesses us. The Bible says He causes His rain to fall on the wicked and the just. The Bible says He causes His sun to shine on the wicked and on the just. God is impartial. God, God, is, God is an agape God. Agape means unconditional love. We've got to operate in unconditional. In John 21, 15 to 18, Jesus comes to Simon Peter and says, Simon Peter, do you, do you love me more than these? And the word love that Jesus uses there is agape. Do you agape, do you unconditional love me more than all of these? And Peter says, you know, Lord, you, you, you know I love you. Um, but Peter doesn't respond agape. Peter responds philia. Do you love me, Peter, more than all of these? Do you agape me? Peter says, you know I philia. Philia is friendship love. Jesus says, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, do you agape me more than all of these? Peter says, Lord, you know I philia, friendship love you. Tend my sheep. Peter, do you, he asked him a third time. The Bible says when he asked him a third time, Peter was grieved. But this time Jesus changes the word. He says, Peter, do you philia me? Do you love me? Friendship love. He says, Lord, you know, you know all things. She says, that's right. Feed my lambs. The pursuit was unconditional love, unconditional love. But Jesus was making Peter aware of the fact that you and I as human beings struggle with unconditional love. Peter was the one boasting. Lord, if even if these other plebs, if they betray you, I will never betray. I will never turn back. I'm Peter. The I'd rather die than betray you. These other plebs, they're not as spiritual as committed. I, and Peter had, and Jesus had to show Peter, Peter, you're overcommitting with your words, undercommitting in your actions. Can I just tell you, probably the biggest challenge that I've discovered in, in parenting is unconditional love. The biggest challenge I've found in being married is unconditional love. Unconditional love is I love whether they perform or not. I, I love my kids, whether they achieve great things or whether they do really bad things. I love them not because of action, not because of performance. I love them because of possession. I love them because they're mine. God doesn't love you, and His love for you and I doesn't change, doesn't uh, alter based on our performance. He loves you and I because we're His. He doesn't love you when just because you come to church. Oh, you went to church. Well, I love you now. Where were you last week? You slack. Right, that's it. You're out. You know, it, you know but most Christians kind of live on this fluctuating seas and it's, it's tumultuous. It's a roller coaster. God loves me now that I'm good. Oh, no. You know, I sinned. I swore. I cast. I, you know, whatever. God mustn't love me now. He loves you not based on your performance. He's, he's an agape love God. He's unconditional. He loves you because you're His. And we have to exercise agape love. And it's one of the toughest pursuits in marriage. I want to meet out to my wife love based on her performance. If she's affectionate, if she's forthcoming in affection, well, then I will respond. I will reciprocate. But if I'm not getting what I need, stuff that she ain't getting what she needs. I'm going to give her the cold shoulder, short answers and whatever. 
and uh, it's you can't live there. You can't operate there. You, the Bible says, "Do not withhold one and do not deprive from one another." And so, the pursuit of condition of unconditional love, of agape love, is a huge thing. And I found that prayer, prayer is the most powerful thing. You know, we've been through a number of challenges. You know, we've got two teenagers, and so there's a, you know a bunch of challenges. And I've found that as soon as I go to prayer and I'm praying for them, praying for a situation, I found the Spirit of God will fill my heart with such love. I can remember when I went to Bible college, folks, I was 22 years of age. I was in my last year of mechanical engineering, left that and went instead to Bible college. Did two years of Bible, actually did three years of Bible college in two. And, uh, but my very, very first year in Bible college, God said to me, I need you to forgive your dad. I said, I'm not forgiving my dad. He doesn't deserve to be forgiven. He hasn't asked for forgiveness. In fact, he disowned me because I went to Bible college and quit engineering. And so, you know what? I'm not. And so the Spirit of God kept saying, you need to forgive your dad. And I wouldn't forgive my dad. And then one day the Spirit of God says, I want you to pray for your dad. I said, okay, I'll pray for him, but I'm not going to, you know, I'll forgive him when he comes and asks. When he comes and, and apologizes for the, the wrong that he's done to me, the wrong that he's done to mom. When, when I, that's when I'll forgive him. And God said, I want you to start praying for him. How many people know it's very, very hard to harbor hatred in your heart when you start praying? I remember this one, one afternoon, I'm just in my room and I'm just praying and praying and praying for my dad. And all of a sudden, I saw this little boy. I saw this little boy who was given a box of chocolates. And he took the box of chocolates home from school and he sat on his bed and he took, took the lid of the box of chocolates and he's looking at all the chocolates. And he wouldn't eat them because they were so precious. He'd never been given a box of chocolates before. And the home you know, had wooden floors and this kind of this steel kind of bed. And he put the, the chocolates under, under his bed. Every day he'd come home from school. And as I'm praying, I'm seeing this vision. He'd come home and he'd open the, and he wanted to eat the chocolate. But, he, but at the same time, he knew if he ate them, they'd be gone. And he'd open and he'd look at all the different uh, you know, uh, shapes and everything. And then he'd close it and he'd put it back under his bed. One day he comes home from school and he's looking under his bed and the box of chocolates are gone. He's running around frantically, wondering if his brother, wondering uh, his sister, wondering whether his stepbrother had taken the box of chocolates. Where's the box of chocolates? Where's the box of chocolates? Where's the box of chocolates? All of a sudden, he finds his father, who was always drunk, comes out of the, the bedroom with chocolate in his mouth. And the little boy looks up and he says to, to his father, did you take my box of chocolates? And the father just looks at him, lifts his hand and just smacks this little kid across the face, goes flying into a wall. Praying and I kind of come thinking, my God, that's one of the heaviest visions to see when you're praying. And God said, that's what happened to your dad when he was a little boy. I remember maybe it was six months later, I'm sitting with my dad and I asked my dad, I said, oh, dad. And then he told me a story about how at Easter, one of his friends at school, because they never got presents, they never, his mother died when he was five, his father remarried again, his father became an alcoholic. There was never enough money, never enough to, to, to go behind, uh, to, to, to go around. And somebody gave him a box of chocolates. And he said he, he, couldn't, he couldn't eat the, the chocolates because he didn't want to. He knew if he ate them, they'd be gone. And so every day, and then his father came out. His father was drunk. And when he said, is that my chocolates? He's, my heart broke. And I thought, my God, no wonder he doesn't know how to love. He wasn't loved. No wonder he was so angry. All he was was, was hurt. How many people know that hurting people hurt people? And I found all of a sudden my, my heart began to change for my dad. I found all the anger, all the bitterness, all the hatred just melted from my heart towards my dad because God showed me what he saw. You know, it's so easy to judge people. It's so easy to belittle people. It's so easy to have hostility because we don't know what they went through. 
We look at someone who's rude or somebody that's, you know, angry or someone that's, you know, pierced and tattooed and whatever. And we, we, we think we, we just judge from the outside. We don't know the half of what went on behind the scenes. But I found that when we pray, God is able to move in our hearts. So important to pray for your wife, pray for your husband, pray for your children, pray for your family. I found that as you pray, love will fill your heart. I don't have time to finish this message tonight, but I just feel such a great anointing just on that. I'll finish these other three points another time. Can I just tell you, church, tomorrow morning is worth coming back because we've got an unbelievable thing happening here tomorrow. We've got the panel and uh, we've got the dating panel, five people on the stage. And uh, it, it is, it is going to be fun. It is going to be informative. It is going to be powerful. So bring somebody tomorrow morning. It is, church is going to be fun at a whole new level. Amen? Awesome. While every head is bowed, every eye closed, let me just pray. The most beautiful thing about God is He changes hearts. And maybe there are some of us here, and maybe our hearts are filled with, with anger, with animosity, with hatred. Maybe our hearts are filled with bitterness. Can I tell you what bitterness is? It's bitterness. You know what things are bitter? Poison is bitter. And bitterness is a poison. Listen to me. The Bible says you, were, you and I were created by God for God. God is not bitterness. God is sweetness. God is love. God is life. And when we have bitterness in our, in our lives, when we have bitterness in our hearts, when we have bitterness in our bodies, it is a poison in your system that will, that will bring all kinds of ailments, all kinds of infirmity, all kinds of sickness and disease will manifest in your life. Get rid of bitterness. Jesus wants to heal hearts. He wants to get rid of bitterness in your life. If you're here and you've never given your heart to Jesus, friend, tonight I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you're here, maybe you once gave your life to Jesus. You once gave your heart to Jesus, but your heart slipped away. And right now your heart is filled with all kinds of bitterness. Can I tell you tonight, give your heart back to Jesus. Trust Him. He'll pull the poison out. He'll pull the rubbish out. But He will not do it unless you give Him your heart. I, don't, I can't tell you how many people walk around angry at God, angry at God. And you, if you say to them, have you given your heart to God? Why would I give my heart to God? If God really cared, He wouldn't let this happen. Friend, God is not a thief. God will not break and enter into your home, into your life. He will not break and enter into your heart and take things out of your heart. The Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Revelation 3.20. Jesus needs to be invited. He's knocking on your heart. He's saying, Let me take the pain. Let me take the bitterness. Let me take the anger. Let me take the resentfulness. Let me take it from your heart. But you've actually got to give Him your heart to let Him do that. Can I tell you, life's too short to live angry. Life's too short to live with bitterness and resentment. It makes you hostile. It makes you a nasty person. Lucifer was the bright, shining one, the morning star, the morning glory. But today, he's not that. He's dark. He's Satan. He's an accuser, always accusing. He's bitter. He's angry. He's resentful because those things will change. Those things will mar who you really are. If you, if 
you once gave your heart to Jesus, but your heart's far from Him. I want to give, get you to give your heart back tonight. Or if tonight you just need God to do a fresh work in your heart. If you're one of those three categories of people, would you quickly raise your hand? And I'm out of time, and I will pray for you as we come to a close. Who are those? Ones?